All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking not to you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. Welcome to Worthy. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And on this episode, we're recapping the 95th Academy Awards, which happened on March 12th, 2023. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once was the notable headliner winning seven Oscars, including Best Picture. Uh, So we, I don't know, John, maybe what, in 10 years we'll get to it on our main Worthy uh, channel? (laughs) What do you think? I said 2025 to my girlfriend who asked me to include her on that episode when... We uh, do everything everywhere all at once. But, yeah, I could see it happening in 2025. <laughs> Not 10 years, but maybe in a couple of years. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. It, it, well, it will be a fun one to do because of everything we lived through and we'll get to talk about and look back on the Oscars from this year and 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 actually have uh, things to think about and talk about and say, like, I remember when this moment happened. I remember when I cried at this person's speech. And, you know, I love this joke from Jimmy Kimmel. It was... I don't know. Overall, it was, I enjoyed myself. I had a really good time watching the Oscars, but uh, I don't want to give too much away because we're going to give all of our feelings about the 95th Academy Awards. John, anything you want to say before we jump into recapping the show and uh, what happened? No, I think it was a great show. I think the only thing I could really jump off of the top with is comparing it to last year's show and how different the 94th Academy Awards were and I went back and looked at our old notes from that show that we did about a year ago and really how down we were about it. You even direct quote (laughs) said, after watching this, I felt sad. As simple (laughs) as that, I think it it expressed exactly kind of how we felt. We had three hosts that were really just comedians and it played a lot at poking fun of the situation and poking fun at COVID. It was very of the time and I don't really think it's even aged even better. And then plus you have all the controversies like the slap and, and all the the nonsense that kind of came from that. So I think it was a great year to come back to it, have one host really focused, bring all the categories back, which we really like, and then kind of go from there and, and, and really treat it as something that is very serious, but also there's always room to poke fun at yourself and to poke fun at actors and filmmaking in general. Yeah. It's not like we were ever asking for too much uh, from the Academy for presenting its awards. Like it was pretty simple. What they did last night quenched that thirst. Everything that I could have wanted happened in terms of the show itself and like the presentation of the awards and the broadcast of the awards. I was pretty happy overall with uh, how I felt. And I wasn't sad like I was last year, uh, which was a very sad year. That was just even bringing up the slap was something else, but (laughs) Which was hard and something that they couldn't really avoid. And I guess we can talk about that now since we're not going to talk yeah. too much about, you know, hosting and all the little bits in between the actual categories. But I thought Jimmy Kimmel overall did a pretty great job of hosting it. And I was kind of talking to my girlfriend before the recording here and kind of described to her what it used to feel like and having this one central figure who was really important to the film industry, not because he was like a big star or actor, but because he knows a lot of people. He's constantly interviewed tons of actors. He knows how to put on a good show because he does it almost every weekday with his own late night show. And I think he may be the best option if you're just looking at specifically late night hosts. I think maybe even Seth Meyers could have also 
been a good choice, but obviously this is an ABC show and production, so we're going to lean into their own people. But I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a great job of, you know, balancing the humor with the seriousness of movies, you know, poking fun at large creators like James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, and John Williams, you know, all in good light. And it wasn't offensive jokes, you know, just to get them angry, just to offend people. No, they were like picking, you know, pointing at their films, poking fun at like some of their outside lives, but nothing too serious and nothing too, you know, cutthroat. And I know a lot of people coming from last year kind of expect something to be bigger, to be more dramatic, to be more controversial. But I thought it was very tasteful and respectful. And even down to the, you know, getting jiggy with it jokes, making fun of Will Smith's <laughs> slap is a great way to address it without having to be like, we're sorry, that'll never happen again. You know, yeah. I thought overall it was a great balance of humor and, and you know, a self-seriousness as well. Yeah, he uh, I didn't know if they were going to bring it up but he just leaned right into it and why not i you know probably hearing you know as many times i heard jimmy kimmel talk like on different podcasts and other like interviews set up where he's the one being asked the questions like i can definitely tell that he would have loved to have been on the stage last year for the oscars and had that moment to like joke about it so joking about it now like seemed pretty proper and appropriate uh for the moment but and i love the one joke where he's like well no one did anything last year so if it's going to happen again Still do the same thing. Nothing. <laughs> In fact, give him an award. <laughs> so I thought that was very spot on. And yeah, I, I thought it was good. And it's exactly, you're right. A host should just be there to guide the evening along. Don't, you know, make, don't make it about themselves. Make it about the film industry and celebrating the movies and poking fun at it, but also having a good time. So Jimmy Kimmel definitely did a good job with it. And yeah, and they he handled the Will Smith stuff pretty well. And I don't think we really have to ever talk about it again. Let's just bury it now. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing else I really want to jump on, uh, obviously we have the specific moments like the in memoriam. And I want to specifically talk about like the performances kind of as a side as well. But I wanted to also kind of lean into some of the bits. And that's what I thought did a really great job is that last year with the 94th Academy Awards and Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, they really leaned so hard into doing these comedy bits And it just felt so forced. And, you know, you're having people that are already, like, annoyed and uncomfortable. Most of the people there, they don't want to really be sitting there and stuck in this auditorium with all these people. But, you know, they're putting on a smile. They're being actors themselves. And they constantly did bits and pushed it too far where I felt like that this show, there was a couple. You know, you have uh, Elizabeth uh, Holmes. Yeah, no, Elizabeth Banks, excuse me, coming out with Cocaine Bear. And that I thought was kind of a funny bit. It's timely. I think that does bring up the question whether we should talk about films that are kind of outside of the the category year of 2022 since Cocaine Bear is a very recent film in the past couple of weeks. But it is funny and it's topical because it is film and it's a popular movie and we have the director there. Um, so that's really funny. And then we also have Jimmy Kimmel who did the little bit of interviewing some of the audience members from Fan Questions, which both I thought did a good job of adding some humor, some levity, levity and having some interactions with these celebrities without pushing it too far. You know, it's not the Ellen, I got to take a big photo selfie. That's just so cringy, especially now <laughs> looking back on it. Nothing felt too forced, and it was all, you know, kept the show moving, even though we could have a little time to introduce a cocaine bear on the side. So I want to ask you, how do you feel about going as far as having a big bear man <laughs> on stage talking about cocaine bear? And how do you feel if it's not really a film 
that's nominated that year, and it's even so recent as coming out in 2023 this year. I think it's fine to have that because it's celebrating movies, and um, I actually thought that bit was a little too much, but that's just me when I <laughs> when it came to it. But <laughs> regardless, like I I love the entire theme of last night, and yeah, we should totally have movies that are relevant to today. I mean, hey, Disney got to show the Little Mermaid trailer just because they can, and it's corporate synergy uh, in many ways. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so I like that's a celebration of movies that are coming out or out currently. And I just love the entire theme that films are back. It was very much about the movie theater experience, the way the entire set was built and having like the, the process of filmmaking behind the scenes of all the awards presentations was really cool, especially like when you look at the editing and the costume design one or cinematography with uh, Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan, like presenting that, but talking about you know how Susan Kane, how Orson Welles, you know, put the camera down on the ground and shot from below and tilted it up. Like that was like really cool, and and it's like kind of basic one on one, but not everybody's into that. It's trying to get an audience interested in the filmmaking process. So I appreciate it, and we should totally be celebrating movies as much as we can yeah. at the Academy Awards. I think you did a really great job of explaining that. And I think it made even more sense having gone to the Academy Museum. And in a lot of ways, they spoke a lot about the Academy Museum. They mentioned it, showed a little video of it as well. And I think they did a great job of creating synergy between the Academy Museum and what we saw last night. And it was almost like a way to honor filmmaking where each major category had like a central background. And I really love that. I, I can't remember the last time they ever did this. And in, for instance, like best editing, we had what used to be editing using our own old interface using like 35 millimeter film. And then on the right side, we have like modern day editing with big, beautiful, like HD 4k monitors. And it was all just in the background. They didn't even have to like show you up close of what was happening. It was just the presenter up front with that really interesting connected uh, background to the award that we we're kind of going over so I thought that brought a lot of life to not only the award show the stage but for instance even for best costume we have the costumes on stage like that's amazing and it felt like a museum it felt like something they would walk into and you see an amazing gallery and like they need to do more of that like that was an, a genius idea whoever came up with adding these little bits for each category I think it really really helped not only the presence of the stage the way everything looked but it also was like a nod to the museum and it felt like a guide throughout film history while going through each of these categories I and mean, it made each category feel very significant when I think we don't normally see something like that yeah, absolutely. It was, as I said before, like they gave us a night that was maybe a little boring to others, but played it very safe and didn't have any weird fan interactive initiatives or try to change things up. It was just like, here's the Oscars. This is what you want. This is what you'll get. And what was great about it was you end up celebrating the movie. You end up celebrating a movie like everything ever all at once and nothing off stage or not involved with the movies interferes with the headlines the next day you know last year the will smith slap took over all the headlines and took away from coda you know the year before of nomad land it was all about what happened at the end how they switched the categories and chadwick boson was supposed to, you know everyone thought would win but then anthony hopkins wins and so nomad land doesn't get any sort of like praise and love the next day it's just kind of like oh yeah that one best picture um parasite had a big night obviously so it's like it goes in waves, but like those last two years, it felt nice to like go back to that normalcy of the Oscars and have 
like just celebrate just celebrate everything everywhere and it felt appropriate and very nice so john let's dive into the categories now we gave our predictions before the oscars um and we'll recap kind of how we did and just our thoughts as we were watching through the ceremony so why don't you kick us off with actually some of the honorary awards that we only got a quick montage of during the broadcast itself so we have the gene herschel humanitarian award that went to michael j fox and of course the academy academy honorary awards which went to peter weir diane warren and yushan palsy and then let's move on directly to best sound ben kick it off what won best sound what won was Top Gun Maverick to Mark Weingarten, James H. Mather, Al Nelson, Chris Burton, and Mark Taylor. And we both picked Top Gun Maverick to win this category. Felt pretty locked in, pretty safe and secure. And it was the only win for Top Gun of the night. Very loud and boisterous applause, I will say. It was pretty late in the show, so I think a lot of people realized it wasn't really going to take home a lot. But, man, that was a big audience reaction for best sound. You know, we don't get that big of a reaction for these technical yeah. categories. I also so loved I noticed that. I also loved when they uh, it was for this and then they did it again with Avatar where they presented the movie the way they're presenting all the best picture nominees with, like, the that montage. Then Jimmy Kimmel comes out and gives a whole, like, a little joke with Miles Teller, and then they do best sound, and then Top Gun Maverick gets this. It's, like, very Top Gun, like, five minutes of the broadcast which was very intentional. You could just tell like that was going to win the award or what they expected it to win. Yeah, I really loved the way that they even tied in the the clips of showing the trailers, which I will say, again, for people that haven't seen these movies, extremely spoilery. And I, <laughs> if I hadn't already seen The Whale, I would be so disappointed because the marketing was very specific of not really showing Brendan Fraser. I should say how do you say it properly? Fra- Fraser. I can't. Fraser. <laughs> Fraser. That's what it is. Yeah. I got to just imagine a Z there every yeah. time. Fraser. Yeah. So even for something like that, it was a little too spoilery. But what I did love is that after that kind of trailer played for the movie, it would cut back to the audience. Boom. Matching choreographed lights that were like to the specific theme of the movie. Yep. Lighting up all the chairs, the stage perfectly it was like such a well-run production there were like barely any even errors really throughout the night that i noticed a couple here and there cutting to people or not having someone to cut to when they're talking about them but you know really i think overall very little mistakes and and really cool production yeah i totally agree so let's move on to best original score and the winner was all quiet on the western front to volker bertelman and this was a moment in the in the ceremony where i went what are you kidding me? <laughs> because I did not expect this. We both picked Babylon here. I mean, the the Batman should win, honestly, in this one. They should have just done a write-in vote. But um, pretty shocking. That was like a genuine surprise for me. And I'm not like mad about it, but that was genuinely surprised by that win. I think it was both shocking just because most people didn't expect that to happen. But I'm also so shocked after now I've seen every single best picture that was nominated this year and all quiet on the Western front being the last film that I got to watch. Like this, there's nothing bad about the score. It is very particular. It's almost like electronic in the way it's presented, but it's presented so like sparingly throughout the entire film, like maybe five, six times. Do you hear the score? And it feels like it's mainly like one specific, like elongated note that kind of builds tension throughout. And it's almost like the fear of war, the tension of war, like, the anxiety 
it is such a nuanced score that I was like, how, like, how do you even choose this as the, like, it's <laughs> so bizarre to me that this won because it's like such a not in your face score. And in fact, I think you could watch this movie and like forget there even was a score. So I just found that so fascinating. Like, how does this end up winning? Because the Academy hates Babylon. <laughs> it must be. God, I, I think that's I wanna, it. I didn't really... want to talk about that movie. Well, it only was nominated by like its guilds and stuff, so it's not like the guilds are voting on it. But anyways, yeah, it it was very bizarre, but it happened. It also felt kind of weird because the broadcast was hyping up John Williams. Like, John Williams is the oldest nominee ever at the Academy Awards. He's been nominated 53 times, you know, second most to Walt mm-hmm. Disney. Kids are going on and on about John Williams, and he didn't get it. So anyways, moving on to best makeup and hairstyling, the... Actually, I just want to say this because I feel so good that I said this, even though I, I got the pick wrong. I On our predictions, I said the winner of Best Makeup and Hairstyling will correlate to Best Actor, and that's exactly what happened. So the whale won to Adrian Moreau, Judy Chin, and Anne-Marie Bradley, and we picked Elvis for it, but I'm not mad at all the whale winning. I think actually I, that should have been my pick, but I just felt that there was some weird Elvis movement going on, uh, which I guess there wasn't, and the whale walked away with this one. Yeah, I was shocked by this. I mean, I don't know why I didn't pick the whale when I picked Brendan Fraser as as the winner here for best actor. So I don't know what I was thinking by not picking this. But god damn, well deserved and just astonishing the makeup in that film. I, it really sold me. I, I was kind of skeptical of how they could pull off someone of that size who's not really even like half the size of that character. But man, so impressive and just definitely worthy of that Oscar for sure. Yeah, so on. No, I was, I, I was just going to say that uh, Wales, the fourth movie to win Best Actor and Best Makeup. So it joins Amadeus, Dallas Buyers Club, and Darkest Hour. So, you know, some transformative performances that need the makeup. Anyways, yeah, John, you were saying moving on to Best Live Action Short. Went to An Irish Goodbye from Tom Berkeley and Ross White. So I first off wanted to say sorry, Ben, because I... <laughs> convince you to pick a different ah! film entirely <laughs> so uh sorry about that uh, if only it's fine because it was actually one of the most endearing parts of the night where they sang happy birthday uh to oh, so cool yeah it was, it was such a it was such a great moment so it was a beautiful moment for the oscars and you know now i think an irish goodbye i tried to find but it was not available on any streaming platform or any kind of like other website that was hosting it so did not get to watch it but yeah you bamboozled me you mother <laughs> anyways hey me... i i had some good backing i had some good uh, like uh, you know every year and i'm not making this up like usually people have a lock for best live action short and usually the mo- most like common thing that happens is that a lot of people's pick is wrong I, I don't really know where you can kind of get the answer to find where best live action lies, but we went through, I even broke down how Les Pupel won for, uh, or didn't win for the BAFTA, but the Irish Goodbye did. And, you know, I broke it down. I tried to give some specific stats the, and facts the of one why thing I, I the, wouldn't do. The one thing the BAFTA's got fucking right that everyone like loves to use as a indicator and predictor. So. Yeah, it like never happens. So I really didn't think it would. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to best costume design. Wow, we're just starting with like a lot of my losers. So I lost this one as well. This one went to Black Panther Wakanda Forever to Ruth Carter. We both picked Elvis for this. 
I felt that Elvis was going to win just because of all the costumes and how iconic Elvis's look was. And I know Black Panther was like secretly on the prowl, but I was just like, yeah, but she won before for the same category, like, and essentially the same movie. Like, I know there's some difference in the costume design, but essentially the same stuff. And so I just thought Elvis would win. But uh, it was a good moment, though, for Ruth Carter. Everyone was very excited for her that she won. Uh, Yeah, it was a really, I mean, such a heavy speech because she's talking about the death of her mom who was what 104 but it's such an honorary moment and i don't even think anyone mentioned but this is the first black woman to win two oscars like i don't know how that's even possible Uh, that's like such a shocking statistic that i couldn't even believe it when i read it i'm like that's that's just sad but it was a great moment i mean she has a great costume designer nothing screams costume designer than having your speech match the color of your dress now that was impressive that was impressive yeah. no she definitely definitely has good style so i guess if whenever they make the next black panther movie it's gonna win best costume design lock it in whenever <laughs> black panther 3 comes out uh moving on to best animated short film that one went to the boy the mole the fox and the horse to charlie charlie max Mac- to charlie Mackesy and matthew freud uh, yeah, this is what we both picked, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. John, say, say that five times fast. No, I'm not doing that. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. <laughs> it was a, it's a very good movie. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it is on Apple TV. Uh, moving on to Best Animated Feature Film. Uh, this one, it was obvious, went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, to Guillermo del Toro, Mark Gustafsson, Gary Unger, and Alex Bulkley. Uh it, it was kind of cool that they started out with this actually to back up a little bit they somehow got leaked the running order presentation of the of the academy awards and it looked like best supporting actor was first but then i guess because they leaked that they changed it up which then that got leaked as well an animated feature came first so very deserved win i loved pinocchio john what do you think about del toro and his wonderful speech actually his speech was great yeah he, this man always delivers such a great speech just what a what a wonderful man it was interesting that he was kind of first of all they showed him early on in the opening kind of monologue and he was almost it seemed like pretty far in the back or maybe it was the shot the angle kind of looked off to the side but then he was behind the stage so they must know. have known that he was going to win right yeah and he did so, um he didn't give out an award after i thought he was going to present an award but my guess they, is you know I'm I'm a large man myself, but my boy is is he's big. My boy is large and in charge, and you're not gonna make some someone that big just walk from like the back through tables through alleyways. But then that kind of questions: Do they know the answer? Like, do they know the answer before someone's going out there with that envelope? And who knows? And how many people know? And well, what we've been right led they can do this. What we've been led to believe is that there are like only two people that know like that actually have the envelopes and know everything, which is probably then more than just two is probably a, like a select few group of people. Like I doubt like the president of the Academy, maybe the president of the Academy knows, but they may probably don't. They probably, probably is pretty secretive. So yeah, maybe at that point, um, I think it was probably just cause it was obviously he was going to win. He won all the precursors to it. Everyone was loving it. Um, so they probably did that courtesy in the hopes that, Hey, if you do win, why don't you stay up here? I don't know. Maybe he has some health issues that we don't know about, which would be sad to think about. So I don't want to think about that. I want to think about how awesome yeah. and happy 
Guillermo del Toro is, and then he has another Academy Award, and he's celebrating animation. But let's move on to the other animation category, Best Visual Effects. And that one went to Avatar The Way of Water, to Joe Lettery, Richard Vanaham, Eckerd, Eric Sandin, and Daniel Barrett. <laughs> Did you hear what? No, what happened? You just started laughing and said nothing. Oh, oh, I thought you heard something in the background or something. Why did uh, you? I, well, well, these blue people, man, <laughs> these blue cats, they're convincing. I, I mean, obviously, this is without doubt one of the easiest yeah. answers and predictions to make, but I was just kind of shocked to see it just undoubtedly take it because I love the Batman so much, man, and I love I the way they kind of mix real production with the LED volume and how they kind of did both to kind of blend something to look so visually real. But, you know, you it was so apparent when you show the visuals for every one of these and they show the cool, like, transition of special effects to what is the final product. And then they just show Avatar, which is just actors with dots on their faces. Yeah. And they, it's so funny because they didn't even show the final product of Avatar. They showed, like... The very early like PS1 graphics of what the visual effects look like when they first probably received the information from the mocap. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's a crazy race to kind of compare this to any of the other nominees. Well, what I appreciated was Elizabeth Banks, you know, how she like broke it down like really quickly. Like All Quiet on the Western Front is, you know, war stuff with practical effects. Avatar is all digital effects. The Batman, uh, he's not actually flying. Black Panther on uh, green screen and Top Gun real, but not actually real. <laughs> In terms of like how the actual effects were done and used, so um, yeah, Avatar is gonna win this. It was pretty decided once that movie started screening. Moving on to best production design, the winner for that another surprise and another loss for us. John was All Quiet on the Western Front. Production design to Christian M. Goldbeck and set decoration to Ernestine Hipper. Uh, we both picked Babylon, but uh, something about All Quiet on the Western Front people loved. I don't know if they just hated Babylon because Babylon won the BAFTA. So what's going on here, John? It's very, very odd. And I think a great demonstration was also in the clips that they showed is that All Quiet on the Western Front had such a such a different kind of style based on where you were, whether it was the the high aristocrats who are kind of like guiding and, and commanding the war versus the on the battlefield in the trenches and how just disgusting they were and the the various kind of locations that you're taken in between that and something that is so high class and so filled with luxury and gold and it, they both were just astonishing to look at and obviously having an amazing cinematographer who is just providing the most beautiful images that probably came from last year yeah it's it's kind of easy to see then after it winning why it would win but i don't know we really leaned into to babylon i just thought it would kind of get it based on how damn well that movie was made like say what you yeah. will about the story i think that's where most people will kind of look down at that film but i mean technically that movie's a masterpiece and i don't think you could kind of argue against that so it's kind of crazy this is a really stacked category though and i still am just so confused what best production design for Avatar The Way of Water means. I don't know, I'm man. just baffled by that. And I wish that I could just 
have those guys sit down and talk about what that even means. Like, what does being a production designer even mean when you're making Avatar? Like, what? And how yeah. often can it change? You know, like how often can a product like a production designer go into an edit and be like, I like that chair to be red. Like, why yeah. did we make it green in the first place? It's just such a weird like thought yeah. experiment to have. I like I know I made the joke about visual effects and animation because of Avatar, and like that's a general joke about it, but it's kind of like a serious question because if you can say like that is production design, then can you look at so many animated movies and look at the style of the backgrounds of the animations and go, well, I love that production design. And that's production design, right? Exactly. That opens such a big question of what can or cannot be. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to best original song. And what we do know is that Natsu Natsu won, and we both picked Natsu Natsu to win from RRR. It was, uh, yeah, it was a fun time. It it was a really, like, happy moment uh, to see them win the award. Uh, John, what did you think of the performance of Natsu Natsu? Well, it was a wonderful performance. I think we both really enjoyed this movie. And I really wanted to stop and just talk about the performances. One, just kind of ask you what's your favorite performance. And I I will say that I really, really loved their performances. Sometimes, and I think I might have even said it last year, where I feel like sometimes you just get in the way. They just sometimes have nothing to do with the movies. They're just credit songs by pop artists. But this year felt a little bit different. I think you could maybe look at, you know, Top Gun as being the kind of standout one, but the way Lady Gaga had this like kind of very like subtle and low key and kind of like no makeup look, it was very different for what we're used to for the Oscars. And I thought they did a great job of making every kind of performance and song very different than what we're expected with, you know, this is a life with David Byrne, you know, that's such a weird goofy song with crazy visuals. We have Rakakuni literally like shooting lasers out of its eyes in front of like Steven Spielberg in the crowd. Like it's just, that's how it's I knew amazing. It would win. That's how I knew it would win. <laughs> but really all of them are great. If I had to pick my favorite, I just think that cause I like the song the most, my girl Riri for lift me up. It was such a beautiful, beautiful song and a great performance. But Ben, what did you think about this winning, and what did you think overall of the fa- of your performances, and what what is your favorite performance of the night? Well, happy for Natsu Natsu. I think my favorite performance was Lady Gaga for Hold My Hand. I just love Lady Gaga in general. Um, and honestly, I hate to poo this, but the songs overall like don't do it for me. I like I could totally do without the song performances, unless it's shallow. But otherwise, I never really. Enjoy it. Those are moments in the show where I can like not fully pay attention, just listen and um, yeah. So, but happy Natsu Natsu won. That that was a fun time, and it just either I can admit that they're all cool performances, but it just doesn't do it enough for me in general. So, saying all that, moving on to best international feature film, where this does it for me. All Quiet on the Western Front won for Germany. Uh, John, what did you think about? All Quiet on the Western Front winning international feature film, and did you start to like think like, oh, could this win Best Picture? Could this be the sneaky thing that happens? I mean, Jimmy Kimmel kind of joked about it at the beginning of the Oscars, which, which was hilarious. Such a weird joke. Yeah, such a weird joke. I, I mean, I, I don't really understand what that joke even means. Is it just a joke that like American films usually win Best Picture? Like it was almost a joke I didn't even understand. No, no, no. He was, no. He was so... saying. He was saying that because people are just going to want to know. People don't want to stay up. He was making fun of the runtimes. They don't want to stay for Best Picture, so Best Picture winner is All Quiet on the Western Front. 
I guess I don't know. It's just like such a look, and I think you could kind of criticize some of the jokes as being just so lowbrow that it's like not even a joke. Like that to me wasn't really funny because I'm like, what? Like it would be way funnier if he just said like Best Picture, Cocaine Bear, because it's a movie that doesn't qualify. It's not nominated. To me, that's a way funnier joke because it's like, what? Like, how would that be? But you're naming a nominee. Like, it just felt like a mistake to me. It was very odd, very bizarre. But, you know, I think it was kind of predictable. This would win Best International Feature Film. It was nominated for Best Picture. Usually, trend going in the past couple of years, if that happens, it's kind of a lock for Best International Picture. Not much of a kind of surprise here, but I do want to check out a lot of these other films. I've heard they're really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a. F- I love the international uh, film categories, and uh, it was just another great year uh, with All Quiet on the Western Front winning, which is the third time that Germany won the award. Moving on to best film editing, which John we talked about the presentation of the category before, and the winner of the award was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which again, like deservedly so, that whole sequence of the different multiverses and seeing Michelle Yeoh's face like in you know cut and you know interspoil like that even the rock scene how that's edited together so so beautiful and so masterful it was awesome it was a great film and the editing is like to me the best part of the entire experience what was most shocking is that Paul Rogers who nominated and then won this was his second feature film that he's yep. ever edited yep which is astonishing i, I don't that may be a first for this specific category. Like that may be one of the, like the only thing that really even comes to my mind is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing what I think is their first script ever together and then winning best screenwriting for it. This is just so unbelievable. And it's even more unbelievable is that no one even really knows the first movie that he directed and not people. It exists. It's, I'm, I forget something with Dick in the name. I'm blanking on the name, but it's actually one of the Daniels made it. And it's a film that he worked with one of the Daniels on and edited. And I don't think anyone really talks or really knows that much about that film. So just one so shocking that a man <laughs> who's only edited one feature film could come out with such a complicated film, probably to edit not only from the crazy different transitions, but even like you said, as simple as just a rock scene and having to know the right amount of time to have like a rock with googly eyes portray enough emotion <laughs> versus like another shot that was too short. You know, it's like really, really impactful to think about that because it really does make a film, the editing and, but just so shocking, like second film ever. That just was so, so shocking to me. And it gave me hope, it gave me hope. Yeah. And so this is actually the first time in 10 years that no movie won best film editing and best sound. So the last time it happened, Argo won film editing, um, but Les Mis, Skyfall, and Zero Dark Thirty won between the sound awards when it split categories. There was a tie that year as well. So there's a pretty strong trend that if you won best sound, you're going to win best film editing, but it broke this year. So we'd love to see some streaks break and some stats kind of get thrown out the window, which is pretty much what Everything Everywhere did for the night. Uh, Moving on to best documentary short film. This one went to The Elephant Whispers, which you can see on Netflix. It was beautiful. I loved it. That was my pick for it. John, you picked Stranger at the Gate. But again, we you talked about a documentary short and just the short categories. Just throwing darts at the board. <laughs> Absolutely. I had no idea what I'm doing for that. You know, that's just a pure guess and judging it based on some others. But let's keep moving. Let's move on to Best Documentary Feature Film, which went to Novani. 
Uh, so this was a story about Alexei Navalny, the uh, opposition of the Russian government. Uh, it was, it's pretty pretty thrilling, the documentary. I got to watch the parts of it, and um, I, I was entirely fascinated with it. Um, and it was deservedly so, and they had Navalny's wife and his kids speak uh, after the filmmaker accepted the award. It was definitely a very like political moment. You can tell like the win was kind of a middle finger to Russia. It's Hollywood's middle finger to Russia um, and Putin. So, um, yeah, respected a lot and uh, impressed by the film and happy that it won. Moving on to best cinematography. And the winner for this was All Quiet on the Western Front to James Friend. Great speech. He gave an awesome speech uh, for cinematography. And this one, I picked for, for it to win. You picked Elvis from Andy Walker, which wasn't a bad pick at all. But if we have to be honest with ourselves, as great as All Quiet on the Western Front was, this was not the best cinematography of the year. Well, the what best do you cin- think is the best cinematography of the year? Top Gun Maverick, man. That's the best. Like, okay. the fact that that wasn't nominated, the fact that Batman wasn't nominated, um, astonishing. And, you know, one of those movies should have won, but Top Gun should have been nominated and should have won for this category. Um, I don't see how you could think really otherwise. Uh, well, first of all, the Batman should have been nominated. I think that goes without yeah. saying uh, for my trend here. I mean, that movie is <laughs> phenomenal, though. All Quiet on the Western Front is beautiful, like truly beautiful. And I understand why it won. I think that, the, again, it's such a subjective just the Oscars are so subjective in general because what is the best cinematography? Like what, you know, is it the most beautiful images, the images you remember? Is it the hardest images to capture? Like what specifically is it? For me, th- it was like I was leaning into Mandy Walker being the first like woman to win. I, I just kind of felt that, and I think people liked Elvis enough to kind of keep it on their mind. But what were you saying, Ben? No, I, I think that when a movie straps IMAX cameras to a jet and they fly it around with the actors operating it, that <laughs> deserves cinematography awards. But that's know, just me. crazy. I don't think you're crazy. I mean, Roger Deakins has been nominated so many times. Like we could have, we could have kicked them off. You know. Yeah. Oh. Who's also well, talking about no. Bardo, False Chronicle of a handful Empire of, of Light Come on. was beautiful, dude. That movie was shot beautifully. Roger Deakins is not the master. Not saying it wasn't, but like I would have picked to kick off the Batman for Empire of Light. Come I would have kicked off. I honestly would have kicked off Bardo, and I, I'd probably kick off Elvis. <sighs> Elvis, you should not kick off. Tar, which should get kicked off. Why? Tar was awesome. Tar Tar was filmed beautifully. Yeah, it was, but, like, not as, like, stunning as Elvis to me, you know? Mm, That level of movement. and Tar felt, like, old school, right? It felt like very classical cinema, other than, like, that one long take, which is just such a trend that we see with films these days. But it felt very classical and these, like, steady shots and, you know, wide angles beautiful film shot very well but elvis is like woo it's like a <laughs> adrenaline needle to your heart you know what i mean yeah well regardless uh james friend young good-looking guy is gonna get a bunch of uh a bunch of jobs now uh with his work so moving on to best original screenplay the winner was everything everywhere all at once to the daniels daniel kwan and daniel scheinert uh i picked everything everywhere you picked the banshees of Sheeran. John, I, I know you went for the bold picks. You got it. You got to tell us, man. You got to tell us. 
you know, how do you feel that you're coming out like this? <laughs> I'm just kind of, sh- this was a shocker to me just cause I didn't think that they would lean this hard into the Daniels. You know, I, I was even kind of skeptical of even directors. Obviously we'll get to best picture as well, but I don't know. Martin McDonough just, he's been there before. He just felt like a, a good choice based on just how amazing the dialogue and the setting, the original kind of story, the kind of storybook feeling of the film. It also felt like a film that would be right out of like the Oscars pocket. Very, very. And it was like an Irish night, man. They kept talking about it. They kept talking about all the nominees. I just thought it would be on people's minds a little bit more. But personally, I mean, everything everywhere all at once is the most inventive, unique, original film out of any of these. So I'm not angry. I love the Daniels and I love this movie. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not upset by it either. I, so funnily enough, I watched triangle sadness as my last movie in terms of best picture nominees. And I was floored by the screenplay and by just the way that story went like to a point where I was like, should this win? So I don't know. I, I thought that that, that movie was really good and had a really great screenplay. So, uh, but everything everywhere, it was the movie of the year clearly. So it was going to win best original screenplay. Moving on to best adapted screenplay. This one went to women talking uh, to Sarah Polly. Both picked this one, John, both got this one, right? Um, there was kind of, I didn't think that anything would go differently. At one point, I guess I did think that all quiet could have gotten this just because of all the other awards that it was winning. So I thought maybe it was starting to creep up, which then I really would have been concerned for Best Picture. Um, but Sarah Polly got this, and then I was like, okay, it's still going to be everything everywhere. So one of my last films to catch up on was Women Talking. I don't really, I didn't really know much about the film at all. I was kind of, kind of shocked by what the film was actually about and when it took place. I really had no idea what it was about. So that was kind of shocking just to kind of see it un- unraveled and revealed before me and learn more about what the story was. But I was very impressed by the dialogue as well in Women Talking. Very impressed by the subtlety of that film. Every time you got to the moment in that story that felt like, oh, this is going to be where it's cliche. This is going to be where some some character says a line that's just like so predictable or they're going to say exactly what they're thinking or exactly what's on their mind. And no. She either let you see what they're kind of trying to get to by by their words, either like kind of talking around certain things and then showing you the visual violence and horror that these women go through. Or they just simply wouldn't say it. You know, not all the time do you say exactly what's on the mind. A lot of the times you kind of just infer that and read it on humans' faces. And I think she did a great job of doing that. And that all comes from the screenplay, knowing when to hold back, knowing when to kind of push things forward. And uh, I want to give a specific example of what I'm kind of referring to, but I don't want to spoil the movie. But, yeah, give Women Talking a chance. It is a great film, and I don't know if the book is called that, but, man, I wish there was just a better name. You know, I just wish there was a better name. I, I was watching this story, and I'm like, it, it feels like we need a larger, more grand title for this movie. Moving on to Best Supporting Actress, that one went to... Jamie Lee Curtis for everything, everywhere, all at once. We both picked Angela Bassett to win. Um, I got to say that sorry, not sorry, but she should not have won this award, but I get why she won. Um, she called out people like John and all the genre lovers. She pointed right at John and was like, thank you, John. We won an Oscar together. 
Um, it's very cool, you know, honoring her parents who are both Academy Award nominees and being, you know, she had a, she's had a great career. And not saying that she's not worthy of winning an Oscar in her career. But, like, man, like, if you're going to say, like, you're going to pick something from everything everywhere, why not Stephanie Sue for her role? Like, a little bit more impactful than Jamie Lee Curtis's. But I think Jamie Lee Curtis and just the star factor, the name recognition alone kind of drove her to this moment. John, what do you think about that? Man, I'm so torn because I do understand the pain I think Angela Bassett really held up Wakanda forever. She kind of became the shining light of that movie and really held its whole kind of story on her shoulders. And it's a shame because, spoiler, she dies in Wakanda forever. So it's not like she's going to get another big chance to, you know, be this big character that, you know, she can come back for, be nominated for. So she'll have to kind of try and give a great performance in another film or franchise, whatever it may be. This is a really hard year in general. I mean, I think even Carrie Condon was in the chance of running. I think that was an early lead for a lot of people. But it's really conflicting because I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I've loved this woman for like as long as I can remember. I mean, Halloween is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I love her in every film that she's ever been in that I've seen, honestly. Uh, Fish Called Wanda. You know, the list goes on and on. Trading Places. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. And she's an amazing actress as well as just what seems to be an exceptional human like she just seems like such a sweet person has been always very open and honest which I think is just not (laughs) not very apparent in most people's uh, careers and I just love how brutally honest she is and how supportive she's been for everything everywhere all at once I think I said this on our prediction podcast is that I don't even think this film goes anywhere near the lengths it does without Jamie Lee Curtis she is such a big well-known name she was all over this year because Halloween just came out this year. So she was doing press. She was probably talking about Halloween as much as she was talking about everything everywhere all at once. You know, she got to go on this big press tour. And I think she did a great job of not only selling the film, but reminding people why they love Jamie Lee Curtis so much. She is so fun and wholesome and just seems generally so sweet. But I understand you know, looking at these other nominees and being kind of angry that you didn't give it to someone like Sue, who is very important in everything, everywhere, all at once. Definitely a more important character towards the story. But again, this feels like that, you know, throwing a bone to the OG Nepo baby, the scream queen, really like <laughs> the oldest scream queen that we have left. And it really did feel like a nod to cinema history. And and when she was giving her speech, I said, well, to everyone I was watching it with, like, She's going to wait and talk about her mom or her dad really right at the end. And she did. And it was so touching and beautiful. And I think you could look at that speech of saying, like, we all want an Oscar as very cringy. And it's like, you know, she's going home with that award. She's getting all the accolades from it. Like, it's kind of crazy to just say we are collectively. But she is kind of right in a way because she's not that stereotypical actor. She's not someone that you would normally see up there winning these prestigious awards because usually she is a genre actress. You know, she's in comedies, she's in genre films, and they just aren't really that well respected. So as much as I can be kind of disappointed that maybe a better, bigger performance didn't kind of take it away, I love Jamie Lee Curtis and I can't get angry. I just, (laughs) it was also the biggest shock I think of the night. So I made it a a little entertainment factor there, seeing her reaction of like, what the hell? Like, how did this happen? And seeing Angela Bassett's face of, you know, I'm clearly pissed, but I'm not trying to like, you know, 
get too angry on national television in front of millions yeah. of people. It was entertaining. Sad for Angela Bassett, but she'll have another chance. She's an amazing actress herself. Yeah, I'm not shocked that this happened. It's just like, of course, this would. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, people complain about, like, oh, I'm tired of biopics winning. I'm tired of this. I'm like, I'm tired of, like, Lifetime Achievement Award winners. That's like, me, I'm baby. Th- I know. I'm just, like, I'm so tired of, like, we, we'll just give the Oscar to somebody because they've had a great career. And that's, it just doesn't sit well with me. Like, let's give it to new people. Like, let's have more Oscar winners. Let's not have the same Oscar winners. Moving on, though, to a new Oscar winner and someone who deserved this. Best Supporting Actor to Kihi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. This was locked up. This was going to happen. This was an awesome moment. I was in tears watching his speech. It was so emotional, so heartfelt, and felt so right. Um, So very happy that he won for Best Supporting Actor for the movie. I mean, look, Mom, I I won an Oscar. What a beautiful speech. Pointed right at us, too. Pointing right at everybody's like, like, you can do this. Oh, he was just so excited, so giddy. I think it was kind of pretty much a lock from from the start. Well, I mean, just a wonderful performance that really does tie the whole film together. Uh, while it's very much about a daughter and her mother, you know, it's also like hangs on their relationship, whether they get a divorce or not, is so integral to that film. And he really sells it. He sells us on the entire plot because he is there at the very linchpin of our character, you know, about to fail, he's there to kind of convince her of what her life is worth and, and beautiful. I'm not going to talk anymore about it. Cause I will literally start <laughs> crying. Just trying to recap that movie. Yeah, well, it, well earned. Yeah, definitely. And so it becomes the ninth film all time to win both supporting acting categories. It was the first time this happened since the fighter, uh, for 2010. Uh, so yeah, so this doesn't happen very often where you win both supporting actor and actress categories. Moving on to Best Lead Actress, this one went to Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. John, we split here. You pick Kate Blanchett. I pick Michelle Yeoh. Kate Blanchett definitely had a, a very, very good chance to win this, but it felt very obvious. Like By this point in the night, it was going to be Michelle Yeoh. The way they set up the ceremony, just all the other wins, it was like, how could it not be Michelle Yeoh? With, all the, you know, with Jamie Lee Curtis winning, Michelle Yeoh's not going to win. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think she was because I didn't think everything would go, everything everywhere all at once would go all the way. I just didn't think it would kind of secure the lock, and I thought people would, especially the older crowd of the Academy, would lean more in Kate Blanchett. And really, I don't think that's a crazy guess because I think it was leading in some percentages, and uh, some people still were choosing Kate Blanchett. And I think she just had been around. She, people had been talking about her a lot. She's appeared in Hot Ones, on music videos, a bunch of different things throughout the year. It hasn't just been about Tar. But, yeah, I think the conversation of Tar kind of really hurt her because it just wasn't on people's minds. People weren't really talking about the movie itself as much as Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, and so and now uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once became the 11th film all time to win both Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. And that was the first time since Shakespeare in Love in 98. So we've had was that 25, 26 years since supporting actress and actress both won for the same film. And it became, and this is the coolest stat of the entire night to me, that it became the third movie all time to win three acting categories. No movie has ever won all four, but three have won three out of the four. And that was Streetcar Named Desire, 
network and now everything everywhere all at once i did not think when i saw that movie literally a year ago uh this movie you know movie came out march 11th of 2022 march 12th 2023 wins best picture did not think it would be joining network and a streetcar named desire wild unbelievable absolutely wild so yeah michelle yo gets it it was a deserved win and uh it was a really cool moment Moving on to best actor, um, this one went to Brendan Fraser, 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 Fraser for the whale. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you picked Brendan Fraser, Fraser to win. I had picked Austin Butler, but I thought that Fraser had the chance. I just also felt like there's some weird Elvis thing that's going to happen, but it didn't. And I'm very happy for him. It was a very, very awesome speech, very emotional speech, very emotional movie. Um, he deserved it john what do you think about brandon fraser winning for best actor well deserved i mean what an amazing performance such a it's a film that i keep thinking about his face haunts me charlie's face just haunts me honestly (laughs) and what an amazing performance and so well deserved and earned i just so happy that austin butler didn't win (laughs) i went on my gripes about the biopics i'm just i'm tired of it i'm just i'm over it it's like a key to get nominated for an Oscar at this point, and I'm just I'm over it. And I, I don't know his speech. <laughs> it was just a kind of a stress-inducing. This man seemed like he was about to have a panic attack on stage. I couldn't even like tell what he was saying half of the speech because this man was like, <gasps> yeah. like barely being able to control his breathing. I'm like, dude, you're an actor. Let's get it together, my man. I know you're like shocked by what happened, but like, come on, you've been in the running for like three months at this point. Like, let's, well, let's it's get been yourself a, together, my man. It's been a pretty close race. Like, you have to think about like, it's been him and Austin Butler and Colin Farrell throughout the entire time. Like, everyone's going back and forth with them, being constantly asked, being put. In the, and for a guy that has admitted like he's been depressed the last couple of years, like th- like coming back to movies, you can tell like how much this means to him uh, to like be like back at the forefront, but actually like enjoy it in like a totally different light, especially because it's like, all critical limelight, um, you know, critically acclaimed limelight. Um, so yeah, it was it's a lot. You know, you kind of like okay, you can put it together. Like it's all cool. You don't have to like worry and like be this uh you know this anxious over it like we're all happy for you but i also get it that <laughs> you, know, you know i would start hyperventilating if i won an oscar i think i think i'd it's crawl crazy. like a baby I, like i'm a baby just ball. thinking of and and very different actors here so obviously it's a crazy comparison but recently before the show i got a Instagram just like popped up for me a video of Matthew McConaughey winning and that smooth like you know Texas draw he had like every word of his speech memorized the dude was cool as a cucumber he ended his speech perfectly with his infamous you know first lines all right all right all right like beautiful like pitch perfect speech that man was so cool. And then Brendan Fraser goes up there and this man's like literally about to fucking have a panic attack, about to lose his cool, which is, you know, everyone's different. And I think it shows how emotional he is and how just unexpected this was just for his career in general and how powerful it was. Alrighty, with best lead actor down, let's move into best director. Ben, who took it home? Moving on to best director. 
That one went to Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, the Daniels for everything, everywhere, all at once. John, you had Steven Spielberg. I had the Daniels for this. Uh, Spielberg was my, you know, should have won pick, but that's just me anyways. But yeah, the Daniels won this. It was another big moment for them, for the night, for everything, everywhere. What do you think? What do you think about their speech? Do you think like every movie the Daniels put out now is now Academy you know, worthy nomination, nominating movies. Like, are they the next gold standard or, or is this just the only time we'll ever hear them in the Academy's history? It really depends. I think on their next project, I have a, not a very close relationship with these two men, but I specifically loved their first film, Swiss army man. And I, I loved it so much that when I was in school our senior year, when I did a semester in LA, I, I needed to find an internship so I went through like a lot of my recent favorite films, you know, tried to find a production company or a distribution company that was kind of smaller. I don't think I was going to be accepted right into Disney or Warner Brothers right away as an intern. So I went for a production company called Cold Iron Pictures, and they made Swiss Army Man by the Daniels. And I was obsessed with this movie. I love this movie so much. If you don't know, Swiss Army Man's about... Uh, a man who's very suicidal he's on a beach about to kill himself and he finds a dead body and through like kind of taking care of this dead body he like finds to he learns a lot about himself about his relationships and so on highly recommend it if you like everything everywhere all at once I think you'll like Swiss Army Man but it's so clear that Daniels have a very odd sense of humor it's twisted it's it can be explicit it can be graphic it can be sexual at times so I think automatically it's why I think it's why I like was so adamant that this movie's not going to win Best Picture. It wasn't because I didn't like it. Again, I loved it so much. I mean, I loved their first movie so much that I literally sought out and became an intern at the production company that made it. I was just so shocked by the subject material that it would go the distance and how drastically different it was from every Best Picture we've seen. So where they'll go from here, really, the question remains it's it's i think they're going to get a big budget obviously that goes without saying it's going to be a bigger film i would imagine kind of leaning into the action it seemed like they love action they love kung fu they love martial arts in general and you could see a lot of hints at that in everything everywhere it wasn't predominantly just a straight action film though so i think maybe we get an original goofy wacky action film that comes from both of these guys. I think no matter what, we're going to get something special. It's going to be something unique, different, because it has their weird kind of oddball sense of humor. I don't think they're going to immediately come back and do some other very like significant Academy Award film. I think it's they're going to play in their own like weird, twisted genre. And I'm just kind of shocked that the stars aligned and this film worked out the way it did. And I, I'll give my thesis of why when we get to the final Final, final best picture. <laughs> All right. Well, just to give another note on this. So the Daniels became the third duo to win best director. They joined Jerome Robbins and Mar- and Robert Wise for West Side Story and Joel and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers for No Country for Old Men. So again, like kind of joining, I- I'll say prestigious, you know, air and just kind of like cool, like Oscar statistics and, and parts of uh, Oscar history, like to become the third pair to, to win Best Director, it's not very common that it happens, but they made it work, and um, and I think it was deservedly so. I mean, 
I don't know if they're going to be back, but they're definitely going to be at the forefront of people's minds. And when they see the Daniels director this, they're going to be more inclined to go see it. So they won Best Director. And let's move on to Best Picture. John, the winner of the night, everything, everywhere, all at once, to Daniel Kwan, Daniel Shiner, and Jonathan Wang as producers. So I picked Everything Everywhere to win. You picked The Banshees of Indashirin. Uh, John, why'd you pick Banshees of Indashirin and not the presumptive favorite, Everything Everywhere, all at once? Well, first off, made a way better interesting conversation. I don't think if I picked Everything Everywhere all at once, it, it would have just been like, yep, cool, I agree, cool, let's let's watch the show. I think it adds Ugh. just a better conversation to have more of a debate uh, about another film. And I think it just, I picked because I was just kind of shocked by everything all at once and how different that would be if it did win and you know I won't go down that rabbit hole again it's just such a different wild movie with a very crazy and in-your-face sense of humor so I just like was so shocked that it even went this far let alone would win best picture while on the other hand you have you know a dramedy about two men and how one doesn't want to be their friend and how it's this beautiful like foreign setting with beautiful like flowerly flowerly flower I cannot say that Flowery. word. Flowerly <laughs> language. And I just thought it kind of lined up perfectly of what we're used to with the Academy. You know, it had like a hint of a little Shakespeare in there. It had, you know, the amazing writing and dialogue from McDonough. So I really just thought it would be more of a standout for Best Picture. I thought more of the splits uh, of the voting would happen between a Top Gun, a Fableman's. I thought that there was a lot of films that people loved here that it would kind of split the vote then leading to one of the kind of runner-ups next to everything all at once. And yeah, it made a way better conversation in general. But I think at the heart and the core of everything everywhere all at once is a story about a mom and a daughter and, and, you know, accepting your life and all the challenges you have in your life and learning to grow from them, be a better person based on the, the kind of things you've overcome and gone through in your life. So I think it's a film that anyone can relate to and, and kind of connect with and I think that is a perfect opportunity to highlight why it's a best picture winner why it deserves the award because it is so special in that way where it can be ridiculous and so out there and not make any sense and have two rocks talking to each other but then we can come back and have such a powerful connection between these characters and I think it kind of gets summed up in what the producer Jonathan Wang said to his wife which is you know in another life I would love doing taxes and laundry with you which I want to want to stop and say come on man (laughs) like I know it's related to your movie dude like you're just like you're standing next to the writers who wrote that line completely stealing it to get it all from the crowd and to have your wife sleep with you that night like I don't know man that was just like I get it. It's related to the movie, but like, come on, dude, you didn't write this movie. <laughs> like leave that to the Daniels well, to say something like that. Like, well, come on. Dude. I, I think that, and they kind of said it at that point because he was like, Daniels or anything less to say. And they're like, what else do we have to say? And I think like, it kind of gave him the moment, like the Daniels getting all the credit, but as somebody who has worked as a producer on other projects, like how can that recognition feels kind of nice. And so producers, Oh, I'm not saying, I mean, like he's to, the reason to produce the a made. best picture winner like it's pretty, pretty he's special reason, i'm not yeah. saying that but i'm saying specifically to steal exactly oh quote just just take from it. the movie just take dude it. like that's ridiculous it's ridiculous it was, it was an awesome it's, moment 
it's cute. But what I will say is insane that I don't even know if you've noticed that what this guy said during his speech. This man literally said, no person is more important than profit. <laughs> and he totally did not mean to say that. I don't know if you caught that at all, but <laughs> the group wow. that I was with during this like was dying because he clearly said the complete opposite of what he was trying to say. Yeah. And man, I felt so bad for this poor guy. This poor guy is giving this heartfelt speech and he just said the complete <laughs> wrong thing. Yeah, I'm sure he corrected himself, but uh, it, it was still just a cool moment like for the movie, for the, all the filmmakers involved. Um, Everything Everywhere, it won the most Above the Lines movie uh, uh, awards ever. Uh, so Above the Line means like anything from like screenplay the acting directing the producing like that's above the line category so the fact that it won six is the most ever is remarkable uh it also joins 27 27 films all time with seven plus oscars so it joins 26 of them to become the 27th movie so to win seven oscars is a humongous feat i mean like the last few best picture winners coda nomadland they were taking home three awards each like so winning seven is like a huge deal um which is the most i have this written down somewhere so it's the most since uh since slumdog millionaire which won eight so maybe the oscars are changing maybe we'll start getting more movies that will win a bunch of awards or maybe we'll keep on distributing it uh it's pretty remarkable to run that everything everywhere went on i mean as i said it was released on march 11th of 2022 Wins on March 12th of 2023 for Best Picture. Did not expect it. It happened. It is. It's cool to see it. It's joined the list. Like, as I said before on the worthy episodes that, like, I have a whole spreadsheet of all of them. John, you can see yourself. I added everything everywhere and all the movies from this year to that list. And it was pretty cool to have another little entry. A little chiseled in stone. It's etched forever as a Best Picture winner, which is awesome. But what does that say, Man. though, John? What does that say about the movie? Like, do we, is this a masterpiece? We have some time in between to call it. Maybe that is what that worthy episode will get to when we do talk about that. You know, no, do, it's a masterpiece w- without a doubt. It's a masterpiece. I've seen the movie twice. It got better the second times. A masterpiece. Yes, it is a masterpiece. And I want to hear your thoughts because we're not going to talk about this movie for a long, long time. Obviously, <laughs> it's not going to happen until <laughs> the ninety-fifth episode of Worthy. And I know when you watched it the second time, you were kind of, you told me directly you didn't like it as much as when the first time. And I felt the complete opposite. I think, I, I mean, I saw the first, in the first time I saw it in IMAX, it was overwhelming. We went to the biggest IMAX in, in New York City and it was kind of too big, to be honest, to follow a movie that's this crazy. So I think I just got more out of it from a second viewing. Plus I watched it with my mom. And I mean, that kind of added <laughs> to the whole motherly daughter connection, I think, you know. But I want to know why you kind of dropped a little bit after you saw this a second time. I felt that the movie is a it's more of a, a ride and a spectacle and like, you know, come one, come all, come see everything everywhere all at once. Like it's just a big act and not that that's not pooing it at all, but once you see it the first time you know what's gonna happen, you know the gimmicks, you know what what's happening. I kind of just lost a lot of interest. In it, I was kind of just like, okay, like I'm looking for what else makes this movie great, and what makes the movie great is the experience in a theater, experiencing it for the first time, and that's a great thing. And 
you know, I, I think a lot of movies, like I think the first time you watch it is like sometimes the best time you'll ever watch it. Cause you're just experiencing it. You're, you're taking it as the filmmakers are throwing it at you. You're, you're focused on what they want you to focus on for the most part. Um, so the second time I just didn't love it as much. I just think the gimmick of it, I'm not, it's not a gimmicky movie. Just like the gimmick of it wore off. I was like, okay, like I know it, I know, I know what's going on. So I guess I just expected more out of it, but maybe I need to watch it a third time and I'll get it. But to call it a, a masterpiece, like, I think it's a hard thing to, to do. And, like, I love calling things, like, you know, masterpieces. But to me, for the last, like, 10 years, like, I, like, I, there's one movie. And to me, it's, like, Moonlight. But then, like, Parasite, like, I want to call it a masterpiece as well. But I teeter by lean towards masterpiece. But then before that, there's decades in between what I think is, like, a masterpiece type of movie. Yeah, it's all personal. Like, I'm mean, obviously it's personal. Like, even subject matter, what the film's about, what the topic's about. If it's well made, obviously, is a whole other question as well. But I'm curious. Out of the ten nominees here, out of ten films that were nominated for Best Picture, you yourself, what was your favorite? And if if so, if it's the same, what would you've had voted for out of the ten? So my favorite was The Fableman. So Fableman was my favorite movie of the year. I still think it's an incredible story, and I don't understand. What happened? I don't know if it's just because everyone was so into everything everywhere that that train just took off, and that's what you know kind of put feelings to the side. But then also started to get like some criticism that was just like, were we watching the same movie? Because this movie was incredible, and Spielberg is a master storyteller. That's why he's freaking Steven Spielberg. So that was my fear of the year. But I do part of me thinks that like, if I knew that it could have happened then I wouldn't want to be a part of it and I would have picked Top Gun Maverick to win Best Picture just because it did save the movie industry and it was an awesome freaking movie. Man, I think I would have to pick everything ever all at once. Still uh, it's my, It still would. It's my favorite out of this list. I love the Batman so much, but it didn't kind of get up there enough to be nominated, but... It is. It is my favorite movie. It's the biggest movie. It's the most like exciting and and just baffled I've been leaving the theaters. I think Top Gun is like the most fun I've had in the theaters all year. That and Batman kind of maybe tied together because that was truly an experience and a ride. But I was so touched plus blown away by how well made everything everywhere all at once was, you know, and I, I was really anticipating it. Like I said, I literally chose to work at this production company because of the Daniels, because that they had made a film there. I loved the film. I stole a Blu-ray copy from them <laughs> working there. So I really love the Daniels. I can't wait to see what they'll go on to do. And yeah, everything everywhere all at once is wow, chef's kiss as Rat- Ratatouille would say. <laughs> well, only time will tell with what happens with everything everywhere all at once so think that's it john for the 95th academy awards any final thoughts on the ceremony movies that won i think we can save our discussion on everything everywhere for when we do talk about it in the worthy uh, podcast series all i can say is that this man said no person is more important than profits. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> it was a mistake. 
It's uh, like the most important moment of this man's life, and he had a Freudian slip. He said the exact opposite of what he wanted to say. This poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my man. Well, in the other multiverse, maybe he said it right. So, anyways, thanks for listening to our reactions to the 95th Academy Awards. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And, and this, this is, is Worthy. worthy. Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to worthysubmissions at gmail.com. Again, that's worthysubmissions at gmail.com.